Hello and welcome back to day 17 and episode 17 of Dry Jan Like a Sober Rebel, accompanying you through this first month of sobriety, whether that's in January or any month, or even if you're later in your sobriety and you just fancy to listen. I'm Louisa Evans and I'm a cognitive behavioural hypnotherapist. And in this series, I'm pulling together my knowledge professionally, alongside other people's tips, advice and feedback from the vast and helpful sober community, because everybody's different. So take from any of these episodes what works for you and gloss over or ignore anything that doesn't. It's all about finding what resonates. And today we're going to talk about a hot topic in sobriety, and that's weight, weight loss, food, eating habits, but most of all, it's sugar. So let's get on to it. As a drinker, I would never eat sweet things. As a child, I had a sweet tooth, but as a drinker, I never did. So for 20 odd years, if you offered me a pudding or a bag of sweets or a chocolate bar, I'd turn it down. I wasn't interested in ice cream. I wasn't interested in anything. Offer me Chardonnay or Pinot Grigio, that was a different story. But I would never have puddings or sweet treats. Because in my head, calories were always reserved for wine or Prosecco or lager. And on that subject, actually, I'd very often scour the menu when we went out for a meal. And I've mentioned this before in the main series, but also in this one. But I had an eating disorder in my teens and 20s. And my eating disordered brain would still look for lower calorie options for me to eat. So sometimes I'd be choosing things that I didn't really want, but I wanted to compensate for the alcohol I knew I was going to drink. And these days, actually, the menus have the calorie count on them. So that's just a side of guilt to add to your meal. But that's a whole other story. I know it helps some people, but for anyone who's got a history of an eating disorder, well, you may as well tell them they're not going to eat half the menu. But then, of course, I drink the wine. And wine never registered as being calories in my head. It just never computed, even though I knew it was. I wouldn't eat a bar of chocolate. I wouldn't eat the equivalent Big Macs or however many calories you consume when you have a bottle of wine. But I drink a bottle of wine without thinking about it. I wasn't someone who ever thought of going down the chocolate or sweet aisle in the supermarket even. It just didn't occur to me. In fact, in the same way now that I don't go down the alcohol aisle either. But I really am genuinely someone who could just have one square of chocolate once in a blue moon and put the rest of it back in the fridge. It just didn't bother me. But what I noticed when I went sober, one of the little routines I started to do was to have an evening cup of tea. Something else I never bothered with in my drinking days was tea or coffee. But I decided to start drinking tea. And then I liked a chocolate bar. No biggie. I told myself I wasn't out of control. I wasn't drinking those calories so I could afford to eat some of them. But this sudden sweet tooth and the fact that I would really miss that chocolate bar if I didn't have it, I was almost craving it at that point, took me a bit by surprise as somebody who really has been able to take or leave it. I always said I wish I could be the same with wine as I was with chocolate. So I thought maybe I'd swapped one addiction for another and I've heard lots of people in the sober community talking about that and noticing their sugar cravings had increased. In fact, some people would talk about their sugar cravings in sobriety, feeling completely out of control and then actually ending up gaining weight through it. And I always say whatever works in early sobriety, if you've got to gain a bit of weight, you can lose it, can't you? 
This is about staying sober. But there was just something in me that didn't allow myself to go mad. And that's maybe the old eating disorder in my mind keeping me in check. And you know what? The eating disorder is probably something I do need to talk a little bit more on. Because a lot of people have or had eating disorders or disordered eating. So that could be binging, bulimia, anorexia. It could be any number of eating disorders. And the thought processes behind them, although the physical acts had gone away for me, I was 99, 98% absolutely fine but there was two percent in me that old thinking would sometimes crop up if I was feeling stressed out so it didn't completely go away I would still like I say when I went out for a meal I wouldn't order certain food so it was obviously still there in the back of my mind but I felt I was in control of it and compared to how I was when I was younger that was a major achievement so sometimes 98 percent or even 80 percent is great And I make no secret of the fact that I actually studied in this career because I'd been there and done it in so many ways. I'd suffered with anxiety and panic attacks, with overthinking, with OCD, with eating disorders. So anyway, let's go back to sugar cravings and food in early sobriety because I dealt with my destructive behaviours and all of my restrictive eating patterns or binge eating patterns But as I've said, I hadn't let go of some of those restrictions that I was still placing on myself. They were 90% gone and certainly manageable by the time I'd finished qualifying. They were nowhere near like how I was in my younger years. The thing is, I was comfortable in my skin leading up to my 40s. And I can only talk about my experience with sugar cravings and alcohol from my perspective. I know that I had a baby in my 40s, which didn't help with my self-confidence. But even then, I seemed to accept that this was just me now. I felt a bit dowdy, a bit frumpy, and that was no surprise. You've got to love those post-baby hormones. But I just learned to accept that food and me would always have a strained relationship in some way or another. That was until I went sober. And I keep punctuating this conversation with, this is only my experience. But I knew deep down, as a drinker, there was a part of me that knew I wasn't going to be able to drink wine the way that I did and achieve and maintain the physical aesthetic I wanted to achieve. And actually, I decided that that was okay. And I was never vastly overweight. I was just a little bit bigger than I'd have liked to have been. It was at the end after having the baby that I gained most of my weight. But for most of my life, I was a comfortable size 12. And for years, that wasn't enough to motivate me. And weight never really was a big motivator. It's been a motivator in hindsight. It was an amazing byproduct. And that's where the real shifts occurred. And I know I've talked about this with Pearl on my very first podcast episode. But the minute I went sober... I seemed to be able to let that need to overthink food and to restrict it. I let it go. And I started to allow my body to listen properly to what it fancied. I gave it what it asked for, but then I did it in moderation. And I never thought I'd be able to say that about anything. And I think this is the key because I did end up losing nearly three stones. So two stone, 10 pounds, which is about 17 kilos And I know not everyone experiences this level of weight loss in sobriety. In fact, some people report they put on weight 
through eating different things. They can't stop snacking or eating sugar as a replacement, which is why I wanted to have this as one of the episodes in this series. And maybe that was because I was so aware and restrictive in my drinking days around food and just not someone who craved sugar excessively normally, that allowing myself that little bit of sugar, treating myself and working out regularly did mean that removing those booze calories did make a difference and I lost weight. But anyone who makes out that their weight loss is purely down to not drinking alcohol, all I can say is that that may be misleading. I'm not saying they're misleading you, but maybe they don't realise they're doing a lot of other things alongside. I was working out three times a week. I was walking every day. I was making sure to move every day. My diet was very balanced with vegetables and fruits. I didn't eat red meat. I would eat lots of fish. And the other thing in sobriety that I noticed around weight, because I used to weigh every day, And I used to get so frustrated that my weight would go up and down and up and down from day to day with wine bloating and water retention. And I don't get that now. If I were to jump on the scales more regularly, which I sometimes do from time to time, just to prove a point to myself, the weight doesn't fluctuate. That bloating and water weight outside of maybe time of the month, it doesn't happen. So my weight is now 100% stabilised, which... I don't think it ever did as a drinker. So what happens then if the results aren't happening for you? Maybe weight loss was one of your big motivators and you're getting frustrated that it's not moving, that despite everything else you're doing, it isn't moving. And I know that I've heard a lot of people get quite disheartened with a lot of things in early sobriety. Maybe they expect their skin to clear up or their sleep to improve or the weight to fall off them. And sometimes it doesn't for reasons that could be completely unexplainable. And so if this is you, all I can say that everyone is so different and going sober, even for a short stint, is no mean feat. Give yourself a break. Don't think about weight or the scales initially. And I know that's really easy to say, but even I knew that I had to do within reason whatever it took to get my sober head on the pillow each night. And that was my focus. I just decided to go easy on myself. And I really would urge you to do the same because I told myself when my skin broke out that my body was healing itself. And as frustrating and upsetting as it was that my skin got worse in sobriety before it got better, I knew that my body was doing what it needed to do. And over time, I knew deep down it would all level out. And if this is a lifestyle or longer term decision, notice I'm reluctant to ever use the word forever, then it will balance out over time. I think a lot of people talk about 90 days or 100 days or the three month mark, however you want to word it, that things really leveled out for them across all of the areas in their life. So all I can suggest is to notice the things that are changing positively for you, even if they're not the things you wanted to or expected to. So let's talk about sugar cravings, because actually having those sugar cravings was a surprise to me. So I wanted to look up why we craved sugar. I learned that it's not uncommon for people who've struggled with alcohol to turn to food or sugary foods when they quit. And actually, it's quite logical when you think about it. Most alcoholic drinks have excessive amounts of sugar. And especially when they're mixed with things like 
Coke or lemonade or mixers that are loaded with sugar themselves. And so while it's a myth, apparently, that alcohol metabolises into sugar, it does significantly affect blood sugar levels, causing a yo-yo effect within your system. So initially, alcohol raises your blood sugar levels, and after the body processes the alcohol, the blood sugar levels drop dramatically. And alcohol then increases insulin secretion and prevents the liver from releasing glucose, which is why heavy drinkers can sometimes be susceptible to hypoglycemia. This is what I found when I talked to people. Most people that were drinkers didn't bother that much with sugar. But when they stopped drinking, that was when they craved it. And part of the cravings in early sobriety will be for sugar and not for alcohol. The brain and the body craving a sugar fix. So giving in to those sugar cravings during those first weeks or months is really common, apparently. And I've read that rehabilitation centres often offer high sugar foods. And even the primary text of AA encourages people in sobriety to keep sweets on hand in order to curb cravings for alcohol. Because research has confirmed that sugar has a similar influence on the brain's reward centre as alcohol and drugs. And one study actually found that sugar activated the brain's pleasure centre as much as cocaine. And sugar can be even more rewarding in some ways than alcohol or drugs. So it's just making sure that alongside some of those treats you're having, that your diet is balanced, that it isn't all high calorie, high sugar or low nutrient foods. I think that's a bit obvious, that one. And not having too much of a mentality of, well, as long as I'm not drinking, I can do anything and then eating a you know two litre tub of ice cream or something. Sugar affects the brain's neural pathways and weight gain as we know, affects someone's self-esteem. It could pose a risk to you relapsing, especially if weight and weight loss was one of your main motivators. That's why it's so important to be looking at all the things you're gaining and to have more than one motivator for quitting alcohol, just in case that's one of the last results you see. So I've done some research into how to handle sugar cravings in the early days of sobriety. So paying attention to the nutritional component of sobriety is actually really important. Eating certain foods high in nutrients may help improve your mood and obviously foods low in nutritional value and high in sugar can be a hindrance to your mood. So it's about making sure whilst you have your little chocolate bar or whatever it is that you fancy of an evening with a cup of tea but that the rest of the time you're actually eating healthy nutritious foods. Fruit, vegetables, nuts, seeds, all the things we know we're supposed to be eating. I found a list, actually, which I thought I'd share with you, of some simple tips to handle sugar cravings. So the first is to stay hydrated, which is a good idea on all levels, because when you're hydrated, that can actually curb some of the thoughts you might have about alcohol, because sometimes it's that we're thirsty. But staying hydrated with plenty of water helps to curb those sugar cravings. Eating meals at scheduled times and planning ahead also helps. And that also helps again with that hunger that can kick in and be mistaken for an alcohol craving. Eating a sufficient amount of protein is important and eating a balanced diet, including complex carbohydrates, fibre and healthy fats. Having a regular sleep and wake up routine, aiming for approximately seven hours sleep a night, seven to eight hours. And this list I find is stating the obvious a bit, 
but it does say don't keep high sugar foods in the house or at least keep them hidden. It encourages you to read food labels as well to look out for hidden sugars and to stay away from simple carbohydrates. And when it comes to the sugar craving, having natural sweets, if you have a sugar craving such as fruit or raisins, I loved ice cold red grapes. That's the thing I would reach for more than anything else. I joked I was getting my wine from sauce or chocolate. Dark chocolate is better. Though for me, it has to be Galaxy or dairy milk. So not exactly dark chocolate. But the other thing to do is to engage in mindful eating. And this is where my expertise comes in. And my one square that I would sit and let that chocolate sit in my mouth so that I really experienced all of those flavours. That's always been a great technique for me. And it's always led to me being incredibly moderate with sweets and chocolate. Because actually a lot of the time when we're eating, We're just swallowing the food and we're not thinking about it. And when it comes to something like chocolate, where you know you're going to get a hit, the temptation is actually to eat it quickly and eat it mindlessly. And this is an exercise I do with clients if they want to engage in weight loss with mindfulness around food. And you can do this with a tangerine or a raisin. But I like to do it with one of their favourite chocolate bars, where you sit there and you look at the chocolate bar and you study the label and you really focus at the feel of the wrapper in your hands and you focus on all the senses and you open that chocolate bar and you smell the chocolate as you open the bar and you feel how that makes your mouth water and you're really engaging in the moment and enjoying fully that snack you're going to eat rather than doing it mindlessly. So that's a really good way to avoid mindless eating or emotional eating. And like you do with alcohol, surf the urge. If you know you've had enough chocolate that day, you don't want to do any more, then you can actually sit with the sugar craving and let it naturally pass. And you can work with a nutritionalist, a dietitian, a nutritional coach or therapist, or other such professional to help you to improve your relationship with food if that's something you're struggling with. You can also use hypnosis to help you with your mindset around food, to help you eat more mindfully, or to make healthier choices, or to engage with exercise more enthusiastically. And there are plenty of hypnosis recordings on my website that you can have a look at. Or you can go onto YouTube and search some subjects. I'm sure there's plenty of free hypnosis recordings that you can try. But the important thing is getting that mindset on side is a powerful thing to do. Don't forget that you can use code SOBERREBEL, all one word, to buy one, get one free. And the link to my website is in the show notes. So I hope you've enjoyed today's episode. And I look forward to catching you tomorrow when we're going to look more in depth on the subject of dopamine and the brain and some healthy ways to get dopamine.